Before we dive into this podcast, I want to take a moment to guide you through some breath work. Now, the reason I want to start with this is that breath work has a powerful ability to allow us to have clarity of thought and to allow our nervous systems to go into a state of relaxation, which will allow us to focus better on what we're taking in from our environment. So start with me here. I want you to take a deep breath through your nose and then another deep breath through your nose while holding that. And then slowly exhale through your mouth. Let's do that again. So two deep inhales through your nose. Slow exhale through your mouth. One last time, two, two deep inhales through your nose. One slow exhale through your mouth. Thank you for joining this in breathwork practice, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Rewiring Health. This podcast is for those of you who have an eating disorder, chronic pain, or both. In this channel, we'll dive deep into inspirational stories of those who have healed from both and also get into the mind-body connection and how we can heal the mind through the body and also heal the body through the mind. Come and join me on this journey. Hey, so I'm so excited to be joined by Christina Hansen today. Um, she is a physical therapist and the owner of Uplift Pelvic Health and Wellness. So she's going to provide a lot of value for a lot of different things today. So I'm so excited for you to join us. Thank you so much for having me. This is an honor. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to jump right into it. So if you could just tell me, I know you, you work in you know pelvic health, obviously, and for a lot of people, maybe they've heard of the pelvic floor, but don't really know what it is. Do you mind just explaining what the pelvic floor is? Absolutely. So the pelvic floor is really a series of three layers of muscles that's on your undercarriage. So if you put your hands down onto your pubic bone, just below that is the beginning of the pelvic floor. And then if you're sitting down, it goes all the way to those muscles or to the bone, the muscles go all the way to the bones that you sit on. And then it goes all the way back to your tailbone. So the very like top of your crack and that series of muscles make up your pelvic floor. And what's I think interesting about the pelvic floor is that it has way more functions than some other muscles in our body. Um, it provides support for all of our organs. It provides stability for our pelvis. It provides sphincteric control. So bowel, bladder, gas, sexual satisfaction, and it helps to usher babies into the world. So that's a lot of roles that it plays. Um, and then also it has a really strong nervous system component because 70% of the nerve fibers that go to the pelvic floor actually have an autonomic um, component, meaning like you're an automatic, just like your heart rate, breathing, um, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like so fascinating too, because of all those functions that it carries. And unfortunately, I think, you know, probably you can attest to it. It's not widely addressed, unfortunately. And, and that you could probably speak on that, you know, what, what is your experience that when you see people? So, I mean, the research shows currently that it, women wait statistically seven years before they seek care for pelvic floor issues. 
I don't know if people aren't talking about it because they're ashamed. We call them our privates. I don't know if the word isn't out enough. I mean, for me, my kiddos are seven and 10 and I am a PT and I didn't really, even though I had a little bit in school, uh, I didn't have a lot. And so even I didn't really know how to birth properly, how to recover properly. I think we're getting better and better, but we still need more people to know. My dream, my wish is that it becomes the standard of care that every woman after they have a baby get some pelvic health PT because it's not just the pelvic floor. It's what happens to the whole pelvis because it moves to expand during pregnancy and in delivery. Our glutes can become inhibited. Our lower abs can become inhibited. I see a lot of women who end up with back pain after, or they're like, what happened to my booty? I used to have a great booty. And it's like, well, that's probably actually a bony alignment issue. So it's not just when we talk about pelvic floor therapy, and I just listed those muscles, it's not just that that's a part of it, but it goes all the way up to the diaphragm, all the way up to the rib cage. I look all the way down to the feet too, because all of those things can affect how your body moves, how you breathe and how your pelvic floor functions. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can attest to that. I just had a baby a month ago. So, and I, I know my body feels different now, you know, and I'm, I'm still in recovery from that. And I know it'll be a long recovery, but I can say I haven't sought out the help of a pelvic therapist, you know, and, and I think it's, you know, fascinating. I think that's one of those things that, you know, it needs to be widely discussed because, you know, I know that's available because I'm a physical therapist and I have friends that, that do that. But for a lot of people, you know, who experience birth, they come out and they don't know where to turn next because maybe they are not aware of pelvic therapy. And I, I think it has such a valuable place in women's health. Absolutely. And I think it's great to do it before the problems get really, really severe. And I think it's like, oh, well, I don't pee my pants, so I don't need pelvic PT. And it's like, well, you still might need pelvic PT. Um, not even just even thinking of it in terms of preventative, but really just like to make sure everything's on board the way you want to. So then you don't have to change your lifestyle. By the time a lot of women come into my door, they no longer jump on trampolines. That's just like a thing they used to do. They don't run anymore. They don't jump rope anymore. Mm -hmm. And they almost like forget that that's something that is even something possible for them. Um, and I would love for that to not even be something that's like, oh, that's what I used to do before I had kids. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. You, know, you shouldn't have to modify your lifestyle to, you know, accommodate your pelvic floor. You should figure out how to improve your pelvic floor to accommodate your lifestyle. And I well think that's I totally agree. Such a huge thing. And um, yeah, I think what you do is awesome. And I think a lot of people would benefit from it. And many women, I hope whoever's listening to this understands how much that can help after we're done talking here. Absolutely. So, one thing I know you touched on this, you know, with the stress around everything, and I know pelvic floor and, and how it's related to the autonomic nervous system, stress is going to play a huge role on your pelvic floor health. Can you talk on that? Just how stress and the pelvic floor are interact essentially? Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, 70% of those nerve fibers that go to the pelvic floor are autonomic. So if we're in a more stressed state, it's going to activate our fight or flight part of our nervous system. And when that happens, our muscles are going to tighten. And when our muscles tighten, they're not going to be dynamic and resilient and move as well as we want. So some people, if they're in this state of chronic stress, people will have, it'll represent, like it'll show up in their body in different ways. Some people it'll be jaw pain. Some people it'll be like neck and upper back pain. And some people it'll show up in their pelvic floor. And this can happen for men or women. And the symptoms can include 
increased urinary urgency because those muscles can now push on the bladder. The bladder can even become revved up. And so then now it's becoming hypersensitive and then people feel like they need to pee all the time. Um, it can even lead to fecal urgency, um, a pain with intercourse for men. Sometimes it's testicular pain for both genders. It can be painful orgasms and all of that because can, because the pelvic floor is upregulated from chronic stress or being in this state of fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, too, this was what I do too, is the nervous system is interrelated to integrated in everything that you do. And I think, especially with the pelvic floor, a lot of the things that you just discussed are some of those things that people don't really want to discuss, you know, the urgency, the, the fecal um, impact, you know, the, the sexual intimacy. So I, but again, we can't dismiss the importance of addressing that because if you can improve those they are not often discussed, but they are so impactful in your quality of life. Every one of those. Absolutely. And, and I find that, well, people will come in the door for one of those complaints, but they really have the other ones and they just haven't talked about them, but then those things improve as well. Mm -hmm. So even if you come in with all of them and you're not comfortable talking about them, we can still help with all of those issues. And some people will come in with back pain or hip pain, but it's really coming from their pelvic floor. So yeah. that can even be a part of it. Falling on your tailbone, um, that one, if it could be a traumatic event, but two, then that can also impact how the pelvic floor functions as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so when you have somebody come in, you know, if it's like back pain, or if you actually know it's a pelvic floor issue, what are some of the tools that you use to help them get into a better place? Um, so I mean, probably a big question. <laughs> I know because there's so many things let's talk about, well, let's, I'll, I'll narrow it down. How about, okay. you know, if it's stress related, what are some of the stress nervous system regulation tools? Let's do that. Cause I, I know there's a slew of tool tools and especially depending on what someone's presenting with. So for me, if I know it's a pelvic floor patient, even if it's not one of the first things I look at for all of my patients is what is your breathing quality? Like, how are you breathing? How are you breathing in different positions? because I want to know how does gravity affect it? Because we live in a gravity dependent environment when we're lying down, it's reduced, but your breathing quality can change. So when I want to know, how are you breathing? Um, if you're, how are you sitting? So like right now I'm actually sitting really poorly. I'm sitting uh, with my legs crossed, totally not helpful for my pelvic floor. So we think about our whole abdominal um, cavity being a canister and our diaphragm being the top and our pelvic floor being the bottom. And if we're crossing our legs or sitting like a lady with our legs together, we're not allowing our breath to come all the way down into our pelvic floor. Or if we're in that state of being chronically stressed or in our fight or flight part of our nervous system, then we start to breathe up here through our chest. And when we're breathing up here, one, we're not giving our organs an opportunity to move with our breath, but we're also not allowing our pelvic floor to move with our breath. And when we do that, get our breath down into our belly. Not only are we calming our nervous system, but we're helping our pelvic floor not be so tight and upregulated. So that's always a good place to start for anybody who's listening to this. Check in with your breath. I also think, especially right after having a baby at the very end, you know, the, the top of the fundus or uterus is really up high. And so it's almost difficult to get a belly breath. And so we end up being more chest breathers. And then that becomes the new pattern. And we learn patterns really quickly but then we don't go back to maybe the more effective or efficient pattern for our body. And then we we're just like, wait, why are we so stressed out? Oh, we've just developed this new breathing habit or breathing pattern. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I can definitely speak on that. I mean, you know, like I said, I was 
just had a baby a month ago and I breathing is such an integral part of my lifestyle. And that's, you know, I I'm very aware of my breath and it was so frustrating to me that like, I could not get a deep breath. Like I felt like I could not get a deep breath and, you know, I tried different positions and everything. It just felt like I couldn't breathe well at the end. And, and once I had him out and you probably hear him in the background, I'm, I apologize <laughs> for the excess noise here. But um, once I got him out, it was, it really was so amazing to be able to breathe again. And I did kind of have to learn how to breathe again. And I'm someone who's aware of this and, and I really focused on it. You know, it was one of those things, like, I feel like I do a good job subconsciously breathing, but it is really, you have to focus on it once you have a change like that. So if you're not somebody who's aware of that, like you said, checking with the breath is, is such an important part of that. Yeah. What are some, uh, I know you're, you're talking about like a lot of the chest breathing. Are there any other signs that people may notice that maybe their breathing isn't really serving them? Um, yeah, so I'd say chest breathing, shallow breathing. So short, rapid breaths, um, breathing through your mouth versus breathing through your nose. I would recommend everybody breathe in through their nose more. There's, uh, have you ever read the book breath by James Nestor? Yes. Yeah. I just finished it like two months ago. I love that book. So good. So good. Yeah. I give it away as presents. Cause I think it's yeah. such a good book, but they did a study within themselves of the difference between what happened to their body and all of their functions, cardiac functions, respiratory functions, when they only breathe through their nose versus only breathing through their mouth and making that one change significantly impacted their health for the better when they were breathing through their nose. Yeah. I would say belly breathe, rib expansion, um, not sitting with your legs crossed, breathing through your nose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All, all great tips and all things you can do right now to change, you know, that's, that's the amazing thing. It doesn't take anybody. It doesn't take any big tools. Like these are literally things you can take with you anywhere. And they're discreet tools. You know, if you're having a rough time, like integrate that breath and, and uncross your legs. It's nothing that, you know, you have to like set a whole lot of time aside. So exactly lifestyle changes, which are huge, you know, for, for your overall health. But yeah, I mean, talking about that breath book, like it, it the impact of just nasal breathing versus mouth breathing, it actually changed your skull shape when you were mouth breathing, which I found very fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they, they kind of compared skull shape from back then when people were more nasal breathing to now and actually has changed because of the breathing pattern. And so your breath has so many impacts, you know, more than you even realize. And, and then unfortunately people change their diet and their exercise, but don't change their breath, even though you do that much more than you eat or exercise during the day. Right. Right. I think <laughs> they breathe like 15,000 times a day or something, yeah. 15,000 times, something like that. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. And if you're not doing it correctly, you can see how that snowballs into poor, you know, habits and then poor lifestyle and poor health. So absolutely. Besides breath, what are some um, exercises that you that you would give somebody that may have like a pelvic floor dysfunction or um, for nervous system regulation? Yeah. Um, so. It would depend on what they have going on. Um, I'm a really big fan of some yoga poses that can be really restorative and calming to the nervous system and help the breath get more easily into the pelvic floor. So some of those exercises would be like a child's pose Mm -hmm. and then playing with variations of that to open either the pelvic inlet or outlet. So knees being either wider or knees being a little bit narrower and then Mm -hmm. focusing that breath all the way down into the perineum or the base of the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. Um, legs up the wall 
Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even with some pillows underneath the hips and then opening the legs wide. So then you can stretch the inner thighs because those are really, I, I call them like the cousins to the pelvic floor because they're just so connected. Just like the hip muscles, I would say they're like family members, like brothers and sisters, like you can't work the pelvic floor without working the hip. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really great to open the pelvic floor and to help soften the inner thighs and uh, calms the nervous system. Great for circulation with the legs up the wall. Mm-hmm. So whole restorative poses like that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And again, things that you can integrate seems pretty seamlessly, you know, but, but again, so valuable. And it's, it's not what, you know, from my experience in working in physical therapy, it's not something that's like typically given, you know, as an exercise, like a lot of times people come in for back pain and like you're saying, it could very well be related to the pelvic floor. And if you're missing that connection, you may not experience the relief of back pain because it really is relate to the pelvic floor. So I, I think you can't overlook that. I think it's just completely crucial to realize how much the, the pelvic floor can impact things. Yeah. There was a study that uh, I saw earlier this year that said, um, 90% of back pain has a pelvic floor component to it. Mm-hmm. So you're totally spot on when you say that. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, I forgot the percentage of, but like most of it is non-specific back pain. So there's yeah. no actual known cause of it, which again can play, which would feed into that statistic you just said, because we're talking about nervous system dysregulation, which affects your pelvic floor, then it easily, you can see that 90% of it is related to the pelvic floor. And, yep. and we know that, you know, there's a lot of studies that stress and back pain are completely, completely interrelated. Mm-hmm. So, so it's so important to, to look at all the components, because if we're missing this, you're really not going to get those long lasting effects right. of, of relief. Yep. So, absolutely. Um, I know you talked about kind of around pregnancy, but can you talk on like, um, postnatal, like when someone comes in following a baby, I know you talked about the breath and everything, but what are some other changes that you see, or that people may not recognize after having a baby that they may need additional care for? So, um, postural issues. So I, I definitely, I think it's really important that we talk about the mechanics of if you are breastfeeding, making sure that you're supporting yourself as much as possible. I almost call it like mommy's back where the neck upper back, mid back, get really tight. If you're not in a good posture, um, also looking at, uh, your glutes and what your glutes are doing. So some, um, women, the glutes will kind of go offline just because the pelvis is a little bit widened and we need to get that back into correct position. So, It'll either look like people will tuck their pelvis and be glute clenchers, which then can create some pelvic floor issues, or they'll be in a really big anterior pelvic tilt, and then their glutes will go offline. Um, And then they're overstretching their abdominals and not really activating them and resting more on their ligaments. So definitely taking a look at what is your posture. um, And then also looking at the rib angle. So a lot of times the rib angle will open wider and then the obliques will kick on more, which makes it harder for that linea alba to come back together. So some people will get that separation of that line um, from the belly button um, up and down. And so we want to look at, okay, so the obliques stayed on that whole time during pregnancy. Um, so they're really strong and they'll pull the rectus further apart, but also then the transverse abdominus, that deepest abdominal muscle, that's really a corset got stretched the most. So getting that back online and making sure that the obliques aren't doing all the work and pulling rectus apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's so many impacts like with pregnancy and I think just to know what to look at and know what to address and is really important because I think a lot of times when people have issues going on, especially with like abdominal issues or you know, all, everything that you're just describing, it can feel kind of like hopeless if you don't know that there's things that can actually help with that. 
And right. especially with like the hormones after pregnancy, a lot of times women just like you're, you're like at a loss. So well, totally. And actually, even when you're breastfeeding, um, it's your pelvic floor will become de-estrogenized. So your pelvic floor, if you look at the anatomy of, of a woman who's postmenopausal and a woman who's breastfeeding, their vulvas can look very similar. And so they're paler, they don't have as much moisture. So you're going to need more lubrication for intimacy during that time. But then also, if we can talk about painful intercourse, is painful intercourse because of the changes that happened with delivery and if there's any trauma and any tearing, or is it because of a hormonal issue? And so making sure that if you're using lubrication and you're still having pain with intercourse, that's not normal. And coming in and getting, taking a look at that to be like, okay, is it pelvic position? Is it the glutes? Is it the abs? Like what is it? The pelvic floor muscles, like what's going on to help those heal properly because sex shouldn't be painful really ever, <laughs> but especially yeah. if it wasn't painful before you had a baby and then is painful after to address that. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because again, I think a lot of times people think, oh, it was the tear that's causing that. And, and then you're healed and your doctor's saying, well, you're healed. There's no reason you should be having painful intercourse. And, and then it kind of makes you feel like you're the crazy one, you know? So it's again, knowing that there's real reasons for why you feel the way you do, I think is so important. So recognizing exactly what you just said is, is absolutely crucial. Absolutely. And not to be dismissed because I, I think doctors are doing a great job and I don't want to be disparaging to anybody, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately I do still hear people coming in saying, oh, they just told me to relax. They just told me to have a glass of wine Mm -hmm. and it's like grin and bear it, but (laughs) that's, that's, that's not the way it should be. Mm -hmm. If something doesn't feel right, seek care. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, if you feel like you're not getting the message that you need to actually heal, then you do need to go further. And, and I think just recognizing that this service is available, that pelvic floor therapy is actually available and can help you in all these ways and kind of get to the root cause of what's causing your discomfort is, is absolutely crucial. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Um, again, talking about, cause um, I just want to kind of like uh, circumvent, but um, when we talk about like leaking and like urgency and stuff like that, I know these are some issues that a lot of times people like my audience, you know, with eating disorders and chronic pain and stress, a lot of times they can experience that. And again, don't realize that it's completely interrelated to what is going on with the nervous system. Can you talk on some of that? Like, why would you experience leaking or urgency or, or, you know, bladder dysfunction when you have all that going on? Yeah. So, um, all of it, again, I think would be this pelvic floor being upregulated. And so if the pelvic floor, we'll just give the bicep as an analogy. So if, if, my bicep was upregulated in this situation, it would be in a shortened position. So all day it would be like me walking around with this muscle being tightened and holding on to more tone, just like the neck muscles would, or the jaw muscles would, and they become sore, but then you need to go and do something like lift something up. And it's like, well, your muscles in this shortened position, it's not going to lift very effectively. So now if we take that to the pelvic floor, if it's in this tightened position because of stress, pain, all of that, then you go to sneeze and cough. And it's like, well, it didn't have enough room to move, to be dynamic and resilient, to tolerate those stressors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and again, I think people forget that it's literally a muscle. And like, when you describe it with the bicep, I think you can visualize that. Oh yeah, of course it wouldn't work if it was always in that position, but I think it's almost hard to visualize the pelvic floor and like what that is. 
Right. I also like to compare it to a trampoline. And so mm -hmm. if we think of a trampoline, you know, there's a metal frame. Well, in this case, it's a bony frame. And then mm -hmm. those muscles that connect in all four of those quadrants, they make up a bowl, but they need to be dynamic and resilient like a trampoline. Mm -hmm. And so if it's tightened and upregulated all the time, imagine going and jumping on a trampoline that didn't have a spring, you'd land mm -hmm. on it and it would hurt, but it also, it wouldn't, come back up either. So we want our pelvic floor to be in a nice, soft, relaxed tone. So it can take loads to be coming up, coming back. So it's dynamic and it's resilient. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's such, that's such a great visualization because I, I think it is just really hard to like, see what that, that would look like down there and why it's so important, <laughs> you know? Right. Can you like, just going off of that, because I, we know that, you know, as people age, you know, muscles are not as compliant as they are when they're younger. So what happens, like, is it normal for people? I mean, I, I like, I know the answer, but for people like, should you have leakage as you age? Is that a normal thing? Or is this something that has been normalized because <laughs> there's, there's not this, you know, there's a lack of information out there. So yeah, talk question. about like leaking urgency with aging, because I think this is so important for people so, to hear. So, so yes, I, it is, it is not normal as you age. I think it is, it is societally accepted. Mm -hmm. I mean, the um, incontinence pad industry makes around 13 to $14 billion a year. The number one and number two reason people are admitted to nursing homes is because of urinary and fecal incontinence, because we didn't do anything soon enough. Mm -hmm. So at any stage in life, if you are experiencing symptoms related to your pelvic floor, you can correct them and you can address them. Now, there are some situations where surgery is indicated, mm -hmm. even if it is prehabbing and post-habbing, just like you would with like a total joint replacement, you are going to have a better outcome. Mm -hmm. I have had people come in like, I don't want to have surgery, but I'm scheduled for surgery. And then they end up canceling it because they actually just needed to tune up to their pelvic floor. I've also had people that have come in and they've had nerve stimulators put in, they've sat on the Kegel chairs, they've done like all of these crazy expensive things. Mm -hmm. And then they just did a little bit of pelvic health PT and their symptoms were better. Mm -hmm. So, um, sorry, that was a little tangential, but I'll circle back to the original oh, question. Yeah. Also with hormonal changes, there can be almost this honeymoon period after you have your kids and you're not breastfeeding anymore, where it's like, oh, maybe I leak a little, maybe I don't leak at all. Everything's pretty good. And then you go into this perimenopausal menopausal state, which is really from like 35 on and your hormones are starting to change a lot. And then the symptoms come back or they start to worsen. It's like all of a sudden in the last year or two, I pee every time I pull into the driveway or now I can't jump and I could before, just like the leaking is becoming a, a bigger problem. And that's because of hormonal changes and the hormones almost masked them. And so then they come out then. And so that's a great time to come in and to be like, okay, I'm going to finally address this. And yeah. now I think, I mean, I, that's, that's a lot of times who I see because they didn't know this information wasn't out 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, it was way less mainstream. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think any time in the, in your time of life, if you're having pain with intercourse, um, difficulty with bowel movements, constipation, leaking, all of that can be addressed at any point. And no, it's not normal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a, dis it's yeah. a dysfunction, you yeah. know, just like, um, if you'd had a sprained ankle and now all of a sudden you don't have the ankle range of motion or ability, that's a dysfunction. And we want to treat that so you can walk normally and run normally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and talk about quality of life. I mean, if you can 
you know, minimize that or stop that from happening, your quality of life is tremendous from that. So like you have to address these things because again, it can, it's like a slippery slope. If you don't address it, you know, it, it can only get worse. And especially as you get older and older. So it's so important to address that. Absolutely. And I think we should also probably talk about anytime there's been tearing or scarring. So if you've had a C-section or if you had an episiotomy or any tearing that way, you can develop some restrictions in the tissues. And I have um, mamas that I have seen with low back pain, with pain that radiates down into their feet. And I was able to actually reproduce their pain from their C-section scar. So on the front of the abdomen and reduce and get rid of their back pain from their Mm C-section scar. And, um, and in the research article now, it's a little bit older, but it was saying for up to 20 years, if you've had any abdominal surgery, not even just a C-section, anytime you cut into the abdominal cavity for the next 20 years, you have an increased likelihood of developing secondary adhesions or issues related to um, the development of scar tissue or adhesions from those surgeries. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of abdominal work because I feel like all of the abdominal cavity is so interrelated to the pelvic floor. And even for men, I'm able to help reduce testicular pain from working their abdomen, even if they've never had an abdominal surgery. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the amazing thing about the body is that the pain that you experience is not necessarily where it's actually coming from. Like there's the referred pain and and all, and everything is interrelated. If you look at your nervous system, I mean, those nerves are all throughout your body. So you can literally experience pain in one area. And, and I, you know, you talking about reproducing it from the C-section scar. I mean, that's, that's how amazing the body is, how interconnected it is. Yep. Um, yep. Exactly. Which is why when we do nerve flosses, you know, we're moving yeah. basically all the way from our head to the tip of our toe. Cause our nerves exactly. are connected from top to bottom. Our skin connects all of it. Our fascia connects all of it. So yep. if there's a tightness in the fascia in one spot, well, like if I take my shirt and I twist it here, well, you can see it affects all the way down and all the way across. Mm-hmm. Who knows? It's probably pulling somewhere else too. Yes. Yep. And if you ever look at like the fascial maps, you know, you can see how everything, like, I mean, it's crisscross, it's all everywhere. So you literally can experience that pain anywhere in your body. So if you're, if you're only addressing the place of pain, you can really be missing the big cause of it. Absolutely. Which, and especially the abdominal region. I mean, you think about how much space that abdominal region takes up and it's literally your, your foundation. If you don't have your foundation in place, can you expect your building to stand? No, you know, exactly. And Going back to breath and nervous system, the vagus nerve, which is a really big nerve that helps to calm your nervous system. It's called the wandering nerve because it's the longest nerve in the body, but it actually goes and connects to every single one of your abdominal organs. So if you're breathing up here in your chest and you're not getting a belly breath, it's almost like you're denying that parasympathetic input or that rest and digest input. So just by breathing down into your belly, you're helping to improve digestion. You're helping to calm your nervous system. And then nicely, you're helping to, uh, work your pelvic floor too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I like how you brought the digestion in there because it's, again, it's like our second brain. I mean, it's a highly, uh, there's so many nerves in your, uh, digestive tract that are interrelated to that vagus nerve. So when everything is dysregulated and you feel like your gut is churning because you're in pain and your guts are involved, you know, and you're incontinent. I mean, all that is interrelated to the nervous system. So literally by addressing the nervous system, you can address a lot of different things that you may be experiencing, which is amazing. Absolutely. So I really got into treating the nervous system via the concussion route. Mm -hmm. And what we found through treating our patients with concussions is that they got better faster when we worked their nervous system first. Mm -hmm. Who says that's not related to every other diagnosis, right? 
100%. So yeah, I, I think we need to be addressing how we feel um, in our body mm-hmm. at any given time. So it's like, oh, be less stressed. Well, it's like, okay, well, let's talk about specific tools to feel less stressed, but really stress can wreak havoc on our body in so many ways. Oh, hundred percent. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, you look at your nervous system, it's literally like the operating system of your machine. And it's like, you know, we do phone updates all the time on our cell phones and we say, well, everything is impacted. Our battery doesn't work, you know, like everything is impacted, but it's the same thing. We have to continue to like, you know, almost update our nervous system and continue to address it. Otherwise our operating system is going to fail us in many ways. Yep. So you, you really have to address the nervous system. And I know you, you do a lot of work with dysautonomia. Can you talk on that too? Because I think, again, we talked a little bit before, but I think maybe a lot of people have experienced this, but don't realize that this is what's going on. Yeah. So, so dysautonomia is an umbrella term and it just means a deregulation of the nervous system. And we'll just keep it simple. And we'll talk about, there's three parts of your nervous system. We'll talk about the two main ones, which is your sympathetic and your parasympathetic. Your sympathetic is your fight or flight. That's when your body is releasing cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, that sort of like run from the proverbial bear to keep you alive. Your parasympathetic is the opposition of that. So that's when you're in your rest and digest or feed and breathe. So that's when your body is releasing hormones for pain control, anxiety control, anti-depression, all of the things that help you feel good. So that can become deregulated. Some examples of diagnoses within that. So orthostatic hypotension. So people who change positions and pass out because their blood pressure drops, that's an example of dysautonomia. Um, Then there's orthostatic intolerance, which is what I see a lot because they don't quite fit the criteria for any of the others, but it's not quite normal. And then POTS is another one, which stands for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, um, which basically you stand up and all of your blood pools in your legs and your heart rate goes up really high to compensate for it. Um, and so those are the kind of the three main ones that I treat. Um, and those, the mechanism for triggering those uh, can be a concussion. It um, can be, so mon- the monovirus um, is, is known to be a potential trigger for it. We're now starting to see more and more in the research that COVID and COVID long haulers part of that can actually be dysautonomia. And then also there's some um, suspicion that actually pregnancy is a mechanism for dysautonomia. So sometimes my postpartum moms will come in and I'll be treating them for their pelvic floor. And they're just like, you know what? I'm having a really hard time returning to exercise. I feel so much more fatigued than I should, which is tricky because you're also sleep deprived and your hormones are going crazy, (laughs) but um, your nervous system can become deregulated because really pregnancy and birthing is a big trauma to the body. I mean, you just grew a human being. And now if you're breastfeeding, you're keeping that human being alive and and you're just giving, 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 and it can be very depleting on your body. Um, And so what I have been doing, and we, uh, I worked with a team. It's amazing how much uh, effort, time and, and manpower it takes to get something published. But I was lucky enough to be a part of this amazing team. And during COVID, we were doing research on um, our post-concussion patients and nervous system um, deregulation or dysautonomia. And what we do is we test them through a specific test called the Buffalo Concussion Treadmill Test to determine, are they having an abnormal heart rate response, an oxygen saturation response, and then those secondary symptoms? Are they getting cold and clammy or hot and sweaty? Are they getting, are they having some anxiety? Um, Some people will get angry. Some people will cry. Some people will feel like they pass out. And we're talking about walking on a treadmill. It's really 
powerful how triggering this particular test can be. And then if we go, okay, something is going on, we suspect there's some dysautonomia, then we start treating it with specific graded exercise. If we think they have POTS, the specific type of dysautonomia, we'll test them with a, a test called the NASA lean test. The current gold standard is a tilt table test that you would do in a cardiology office. Um, but we do a modified version, which actually is super effective and, and who knows, it could become the gold standard at some point. Cause then it's really easy and accessible to do in clinic. Um, but it's a positional one where you have them lie down and then you have them stand against a wall and you monitor their heart rate, their oxygen saturation, and their symptoms. And for somebody who has POTS, they would have more than a 30 beat change going from lying down to standing up. And it maintains that or their heart rate just standing will be over 120 beats per minute. Mm -hmm. So we take a look at all of that and then we treat it, um, with specific exercise until we can get them back to, um, asymptomatic 80% of their heart rate max. And then we can triage them up higher from that too, if needed. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's so interesting because I'm sure so many people experience these things and they don't realize that there's actual treatments for it or even know what it's causing it. Right. And it's so scary. Think about you go to stand up and you feel like you're going to pass out every time. I mean, you can't function like that. So it's, it's absolutely crucial to have treatments like this. And the research you did, I think it's so fascinating because it's really looking at so many aspects of it and, and how it can be treated in a way. Like, I, I think that's phenomenal. Yeah. And it's yeah. been, and it's amazing how it can get people their quality of life back. And I see people from the spectrum of they've been so incapacitated from this that they can barely go up and down the stairs in their house. And they're almost bed bound mm -hmm. to people that are super high level athletes. And then they can't perform at the level that they're at, or they feel terrible. And we scale them down to a really low heart rate and then bring them both back up and they have different plans of care, but we can still get them to their goals of where they want to be. But it's almost sometimes harder for that higher level athlete to be like, wait, you're telling me you're, I have to exercise way down here at this low heart rate and then get myself back up. And it's like, yeah, yeah but you're going to feel a lot better. And they do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and I would imagine too, like, you know, if you have this, I mean, I've worked with a lot of people with orthostatic hypotension. If you don't treat that, then it's a snowball effect. You get weaker, then you can't get up, and then your orthostatic hypotension gets worse. So it it really is needs to be addressed immediately when you experience that. Yes, orthostatic hypotension is is actually even more serious than POTS. Yeah, yeah you definitely need to treat it right away. There's yeah. another one called um, neurally mediated hypotension, which is it's still under that dysautonomia umbrella, mm -hmm. but people definitely will pass out with that as well because yeah. it's just this hypotensive event when they change positions. Yeah. For POTS, it's a, a reflexive. Um, tachycardia or elevated heart rate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and again, like this is how impactful the nervous system is that it can literally, you know, affect every aspect of your life and, and this every system in your body again, because it's literally modulating every system is yep. telling every system what to do drop the heart rate, increase the heart rate, drop the breath rate, increase the breath rate. It affects your eyes. I mean, every aspect of your life. And if something is off now, you can see how it snowballs into other things that you don't even realize is all the same root cause. So Absolutely. It really is so interesting. And I, I think your addition of discussing how pregnancy again, can be potentially uh, an initiator for that is, is really important because you do feel, I mean, you feel like your whole system is kind of out of whack and it is, it is hard to just, you know, uh, differentiate what's going on there. Absolutely. Right. Is this normal sleep deprivation yeah. and hormone fluctuation yeah. or is this something more? 
Yeah, exactly. And, and at least being aware of that, maybe you can investigate it more or have somebody look into it for you, you know, and, and seek out help. Absolutely. Which is why, again, I think it's really good to just have an additional touch point because the current medical model for, and I, and maybe it's changing a little bit. My patients are still telling me that after they've had their baby, the care flips over and everything goes to the baby and you're constantly going in, you're getting the baby checked on. You go in for your six week checkup. They do a depression screening. They do your pap. They give you an IUD, your birth control, and they go, we'll see in a year. It's like, what? That's, that's (laughs) literally the postnatal care that we get. mind-blowing to me mm-hmm. it, it's so unfortunate and I and I, I can speak to that I literally have it on my calendar next week I'm going for my six-week checkup and that is all they're going to do is make sure that everything is healed and that's basically it and and I that's what I had my first child and and there was no discussion of like how are you functioning how you know do you like all the questions do you have leakage how is you know talking about sexual intimacy no one asks you that you know right. no one asks you the lifestyle and quality of life questions to see if you actually are living well you know it goes beyond just is it healed are you healed you know and and it's it, you know, it is literally just postpartum and is your, your flesh healed and that's it. Like it, it, It's your flesh healed and is your yeah. cervix closed. Yeah. And so, and that's the thing is that I think we don't realize that doctors are doing this amazing task mm-hmm. of keeping you and your baby alive. Yeah. So they're lifesavers. We as pelvic PTs are quality of life enhancers. Mm -hmm. We want you to function optimally and live your highest value life of whatever that is for you. If that means you run marathons, if that means you chase your kids at the park, whatever level you want to be at, we want you to live it without having to sit back because you hurt or not being able to connect to your partner because you're having painful intercourse. Like to me, those things shouldn't be existing. And so I want to be that person that bridges that gap in that postnatal care so that every woman goes, okay, so I've gotten my clearance for my six weeks. So now I can go back to doing everything. And it's like, no, now research says you should wait until after the end of your fourth trimester before you begin running, but that doesn't mean do nothing and then start running. We need to scale it up. Mm -hmm. And I think we live in this society of pressure of like, we've got to lose our baby weight. We've got to get everything back. I'm just going to push myself really, really, really hard. And it's like, how about we start with some walks? Mm-hmm. How about we start with some belly breaths? How about we start with some really, really gentle movement that just feels good in our body? Keep mm-hmm. ourselves moving because motion is lotion, but then seek out care to help make sure that everything is working the way we want it to. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have patients that are like, oh yeah, my abs are great. And then I look at them and it's like, yeah, up here, the upper abs are great, but the lower abs aren't, aren't activating as much. Yeah. Yep. So. Anyway, yeah. I could go on and on. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm right there with you. And that's the thing. Are you living or are you living well? You know, and Ooh, you yes. have to figure out how to live well. And it's like, I, I mean, for myself, like I, I know my body, you know, I'm a physical therapist, but again, like, I don't know what's happening with my, my uterus. Like, I don't know what's happening all, you know, my pelvic floor, like I can feel it, but like, is it, you know, is it working the way it should? And, and where can I start getting back into all those things? It's like all those questions you don't know, because no matter how well you know your body, if you're not doing the right tools or know what's available to you, you don't know where to go from there. And it is like, I, like I touched it, it's that expectation of like, look how you look, you know, get back to how you look, but no one's really addressing how are you functioning? And that is 10 times more important than how you look. It doesn't matter how you look. If you, if you can't do the things that you want to do and pick up your you know child or, um, you know, jump on the trampoline, like you're saying, then like, what does it matter? And 
Absolutely. And that is so important. I think that needs to be a standard of care where it's like you have a baby and then, then it's like you at least get a consultation from somebody, you yeah. know, a therapist or in, and address that pelvic floor. I think it needs to be a standard of care where that is just as equally as important as a six week checkup with your physician. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the other thing is, is that you need to almost retrain how to manage that intra-abdominal pressure, that pressure in that canister that we talked about earlier, because you just had a baby in that canister. And so you had a pressure management strategy of everything pushing outward, yeah. like heavy, heavy lifters, they will wear um, belts and then they push into that and that's their support structure. But now you don't have that baby giving you that support. So you need to be able to bring those pressures up and in so that you can heal the diastasis so that you don't end up with prolapse, which is the bladder, the uterus, or the rectum pushing into that vaginal canal um, so that you don't end up with hemorrhoids or hemorrhoids that don't go away. Um, it's, or hernias, like those are all pressure management issues. So relearning how to manage those pressures as well. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's just so much to think about. Like it really, like you don't, well, I think it's just like, you don't think about this after you have a baby. Cause you're just trying, like you said, keep the human alive, keep him yeah. alive or him or her alive. Like you don't think about your own self. And I think it's like, then you get into like that mom guilt where it's like, no, 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 I'm second. I'm second. But I, and, and I experienced that too. Like, oh no, I need to take care of everyone else before myself. And I think it's just like a natural feeling, but at the end of the day, if we're not taking care of ourselves and our body and our well being, then everything else is going to fail. So it's, it's the analogy of you have to put your oxygen mask on first before you can put on anybody else's. Yeah. Because then you'll not do well. And then ultimately you won't be able to help your family out. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I mean that, that you could say that same thing for caregivers that are helping an elderly family member or a loved one, and they put themselves second. And then finally, all of a sudden they're falling apart. They haven't taken care of their nutrition or their sleep or their stress. And then they can't help, or they get an injury that then now they can't take care of their loved one. So even though it feels selfish, I mean, I, that whole mom guilt thing is mm -hmm. absolutely real. But the best yeah. gift you can give, not only yourself, but your family is for you to feel the best in your body. Because if you feel the best in your body, then everything else functions well. Yeah. We came home from a camping trip and my son was like, okay, mom, I'm going to help you unpack the car because 60% of this family's happiness is dependent on you being okay. Aww. And he was like seven or eight when he said that, but it's, Aww. but it's true. You know, like if, if we're okay, yeah. <laughs> else is okay in our family. So even though we feel mom guilt, we still, it's really important. Even our kid, our little kids can tell us if we're yeah. not taking care of ourselves. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, if we, if we really, you know, truly want to look out for the best for our kids, we are going to model that behavior and yeah. modeling self-care and taking care of ourselves. Like we can't expect our kids to grow up and want to do that if we're not even doing it for ourselves. So I think modeling so that is the most important thing. Like model what your kids want to do, what you want your kids to do. Yes. And at some point we should have a podcast on getting rid of mom guilt. Yes. Oh my gosh. Seriously. Oh my literally. I mean, it really is true. And no matter how much, you know, the right thing to do, it literally creeps up on you, you know, yeah. like, you yeah. know, you need to take care of yourself. You know, you need to add all these things into your life, but like, you're like, well, I really should be holding them. I really should be doing this. You know, it's, it's always that little voice in the back of your head, but at the end of the day, you do have to take care of yourself. Yes. And even if it is just those little things, like take a minute. Yeah. Breathe, breathe while you're connecting with your baby breastfeeding. So, you yeah. know, go for a little walk in nature with your kiddos. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And, and just integrating it, it's all about those little habits and making it realistically 
applicable, you know, impl uh, implement it into your life, but don't make it feel like a job because then it's not going to serve you. Exactly. Um, exactly. Or tie it to something else you're already doing. So like habit stacking. Yeah. So every time before you have a meal, sit down and just connect with your breath. A lot of people will do a prayer practice at that point. You can do your prayer. That's a great way to just get connected in before you eat. And then your body is in a calmer state and you're going to digest better. Mm -hmm. If prayer isn't in your practice, take a minute and do some nice calm belly breaths. It'll give you that same effect of calming your nervous system. You digest better. And now you just did two really good things for yourself. You maybe created a tradition for your family or just for yourself and you're already doing it before every meal. So now it's not another to do. It's just a part of your day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and going off a habit stacking, if you haven't read the book, James Clear for anyone listening, <laughs> listen, uh, read that atomic habits. Cause it's it really, it's so you can apply it to anything in your life that you want to make yep. better. So it's, yep. it's so good going off of like habits. Can you just like talk about some of your daily habits? Like, what do you do to help yourself be in a good place? Yeah, that's a great question. So I am a big fan of small moments of connected breathing. So I think sometimes it's hard to be like, okay, I know the benefits of sitting down and doing a 10 minute meditation. Sometimes that's just feels very difficult as simple as it is. That doesn't mean it's easy. So I try to do one minute of breathing five times a day, or, you know, if I'm sitting at a stoplight, that's my habit stack. I'll connect to my breath then. Um, or like before I open a book to read it, or after I close a book to read it, I'll just take a moment and do a breath. Um, I like to take cold showers. I know you talked about that too. Um, and then exercise is for me just absolutely essential. And if I can exercise outside even better so I can connect with nature and I can get my body moving. Um, and then I try to spend quality time with my family because that's really important to me. And that helps me feel like a complete person. So those are kind of my big habits. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I'm right there with you pretty much on all those, because I find <laughs> that they, they just make me feel so much better. And when I don't like, and it's not say like you don't fall off sometimes with them, you know, but like you feel so much better when you integrate them. So having that like consistently, you, you feel like a different person when you actually take care of yourself and, and apply all that on a daily yeah. basis and show up for yourself. That's the biggest yes. thing. Yes. Yes. Journaling. That's another really great one. Yeah. Just taking a time to like, just brain dump everything that's going on. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing is um, keeping track of your time. Like where is your time going? So time yeah. auditing, because then that helps you be more efficient. That yeah. one's hard. I still work on that one, but I'm trying. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> and I think another thing too, is that like removing yourself from social media, getting off your phone, having quiet time for your brain, because again, we're so bombarded with so many things that I think, you know, our brain can't process all that. And then it becomes a stress response. So, oh yeah. Yeah. We get way into our prefrontal cortex there. Um, there was a study that said, um, having three days in nature without any social media at all can completely reset your prefrontal cortex, which drives how you respond to basically everything in your life. Yes. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, that's um, <laughs> uh, but as little as an hour in nature can give little mini resets. Mm -hmm. So anytime you can spend in nature to me is valuable on many, many levels. But then if you can exercise in nature or be with your family exercising in nature, like how many things can you do at one time? Yep. Um, I'll be really helpful in calming and healing your nervous system and that prefrontal cortex of the front of your yeah. brain. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was just, I'm just reading a book now. It was saying that uh, we have to process more in our brains in one day than people in the 1400s in their whole lifetime. So that's how much information we're getting bombarded with every day. So you, when you feel stress and you don't have tools to manage that, you can understand why, because our brains haven't evolved to that extent, but our environment has. And if we don't, 
if we don't know how to manage that in a way that is allowing us to live a little bit more freely, then we're really doing ourselves a disservice. So yeah, I found that fascinating. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What book is that? Um, it's limitless by Jim quick. Oh, okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. I'll read that. It's such a, I mean, I'm only partly, I'm probably like two or three chapters in, but it's been such a great book already, but it really makes you think differently about, about everything. And, and it, I feel like it gives you a little grace because I, for me and for people I work with, I find that the more, you know, the less you put on yourself for feeling the way you do. Like if you know that there's a literal scientific for physiological reason for what you're experiencing you don't feel like oh what's wrong with me you just say like oh that's that's what's happening okay how do I fix it so the more you know about yourself and about life and about everything you're experiencing the less I think you take to heart and the more you know to take action against it yeah absolutely Um, yeah but yeah it's again just all those little things make such a big difference so just kind of wrapping up here, do you have any kind of like big takeaway, like um, uh, something maybe would be uh, the most important thing if someone had to start today, if they were even questioning, I, you know, they have something wrong with their pelvic floor or, or they're just, things aren't working well, what would be your recommendation that they could, something they could do right now or, or start with? I would say um, connecting with belly breath and see if that helps to calm any of your symptoms. Um, I would say reach out to a pelvic health therapist in your area. I, um, do offer free 15 minute phone consultations. So if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to have a conversation. Um, again, knowledge is power. Um, and then the other thing is, is basically the habits that we just talked about. So taking time for yourself, whether that's breath work, journaling, exercise, sitting in a quiet room without any distractions, whatever that is for you, or if that's being social to help you connect something that's going to help you feel better in your life. And then, and then getting, getting help. Like we can, you can probably piecemeal something together from everything that people are putting on social media and what we have at our fingertips uh, with Google and YouTube and all of that. But sometimes it's really nice just to be like, okay, here I am. Here's where I want to be. What's the fastest way to get there? Seeking help from a professional. So finding a public health PT in your area would be, I would, I would recommend that. I mean, but I'm also of the adage that I think everybody should at least have their pelvic floor looked at. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, especially when you talk about everything and it affects, absolutely. I think it, it needs to be a standard of care for, yeah, you know, yeah. for men and women. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we really didn't touch on that, but yes, if we think women yeah. are underserved in pelvic health, men are even more underserved. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just, there's more shame. Um, there's more embarrassment and I would love for that stigma to go away and just be like, it's just something else that we do to care for our bodies for Absolutely. anybody who's a pelvic health therapist. I'm sure they'd say the same thing for me. Looking at anybody's anatomy is the same thing as looking at the elbow or the ankle or the foot. Mm-hmm. Like it's just another body part. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more to it for me than that. Right. You know, mm-hmm. That's harder for other people. Yeah but this is what you do, you know? So <laughs> so for anyone who wanted to connect with you, uh, how can they find you and, and connect with you? Yeah. So you can find me probably the easiest way would be on Instagram and I'm um, at uplift pelvic health and wellness. I do also have a website, which is upliftphw.com. Um, but I think probably interacting with me on social media, would probably be the fastest, easiest way. Okay, great. And I'll put that in the show notes too, for anyone listening. Uh, I'll have your link there to access you on, on Instagram, but great. thank you so much, Christina. You have given us so much knowledge and information. I think it's been just awesome just to hear how everything's integrated. And I think, especially with talking about like the nervous system and the pelvic floor, I, it's, it really is fascinating our bodies and, 
And for anyone who's listening or watching, if you feel like you're in a, a place where you don't know where to turn or you suspect that anything we've discussed today is is something you're experiencing, definitely reach out and, and get that help because it's it's absolutely crucial for your quality of life. So so I appreciate your your input and your insight and, and knowledge on all this. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. It was a great yeah, conversation. Absolutely. And again, hook up with Christina and connect with her on social media and, and she posts a lot of great information. So definitely do that. So thank you very much. And, and we'll definitely have to catch up on other things in future episodes here. So <laughs> that's good. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Rewiring Health. To get updates on new episodes on this channel, please subscribe. And to support the channel, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please write a review and rate it.